The nail in the coffin! It's an MLB postseason edition of The Nail. I'm Tom Valentino. Trav is away on business, but I am joined by Joel Hammond. Joel, how are you, man? I'm doing great, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so the last time we talked on here, you were running social media for the Indians. You've since taken an agency job and uh, joined the rest of us in the uh, nine-to-five world. Uh, Was it weird for you this season watching as a fan again? Or maybe the better question, can you even go back to just watching as a fan after spending five years working for the team? It was weird. It was, but it was fun. You know, it was, I didn't have to hang on every pitch. You know, I, I, I didn't have to worry about, uh, you know, the worst part of, of, of losing was knowing what, what you have to face when you work in the social space. Um, you know, it's hard to, it's harder to get away from some of the negativity that surrounds, you know, any, any loss. And, and so it was hard to get away from that, but uh, this year it's been a little, a uh, little, little weird, not, uh, not being around, not having to, not being around the guys, not being around the team. Um, but it's been fun too to not have to, you know, worry about how that affects my job, my role, and uh, just be able to kind of have fun with it. All right. So your time there overlapped with all three of the postseason appearances for the Indians in this current uh, era. Uh, you know, the wild card game in 2013, and then obviously the past two years. Um, how did your job change once the playoffs started versus the day-to-day grind of the regular season? What, what What's it like at this time of the year? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it uh, it was – 13 was a little bit different back then. You know, it was – social was still a little – I mean, it's crazy to think, but social was still emerging at that point. So um, my role back then was a little bit different. It was more media-focused and – uh, and, and I'll tell you, you know, we're recording this as the AL wildcard game is on and the wildcard game is not a fun, you know, it's not fun for anybody, you know, I mean, you know, especially in 13, we, I think Terry, you, you've heard Terry talk about a number of times where, you know, it's hard to lose that way. Cause the, the season just sort of comes to a stop in 16, it was, it was different because we had that great run and you knew the season was going to be over after game seven of the world series and 13, it was like, you know, we're gearing up for a fun run. We had just won 10 in a row, and and then it, the season just sort of ends nine innings later. And, you know, it's tough for Tom is, you know, I was talking to some ballpark op- operations people this week at, at Progressive Field, and it, that's tough for them, especially like, so think if the Indians get swept, you know, God forbid they get swept by the Astros this year. You know, there's a lot of work that goes into preparing the ballpark for the postseason. You know, in 13, they did all that work. You know, our, our operations crew, they did all that work for one game. You know, this year, theoretically, they could do it for one game. You know, last year, of course, they, um, you know, there was three games, but it was still too early for, for their liking. So, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a, it's a whole new ball game for those folks, for the communication staff. Um, yeah, the postseason's crazy. There's more media. Um, there's more preparation. There's more, um, you know, there's more eyeballs on your work. So you want it to, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to frame it that way, but you know, you want your work to sing a little bit more in the postseason. you know, just like the, just like the guys on the field do, you want your work to, to, to sing a little bit too. So there's more preparation, more, more discussion, more, more, 
more planning, more, you know, more time spending executing things. So um, it's a fun time, but it's certainly uh, more nerve wracking and, um, you know, just, it's just a nervous time in general. Yeah. You know, you mentioned ballpark ops that kind of got me to thinking, you know, out in Oakland, the Browns were playing this past weekend and they still had the infield dirt there and, you know, they had to keep that place, you know, ready to host more baseball and they might not actually have any more games. Like, you know, as we record right now, the A's are, I think down to nothing. If they don't make a comeback here, the baseball season's over. So, um, you know, I guess that's kind of an extra layer of complexity for them to be dealing with out there in the, in the Bay area. But um, all right. So, you know, Beck is a, uh, in civilian life, I guess we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you felt uh, kind of liberated? I haven't gotten the sense following you on Twitter that you ever had anything remotely close to an X to grind, but um, you know, you're also no longer a representative of the team and you could just tweet with the rest of us. Yeah, it's um, yeah. No X to grind. I was treated great when I was there. I mean, but at the same time you're able to, you know, frankly, I felt limited when I was with the Indians. I mean, you you are a representative, representative, and this took me a little while to to learn, Tom. You know, I I came from Cranes, where my job was to sort of be a little bit more, um, uh, whatever you want to say, it's, you know, stir the pot a little bit, and you know, be a jur- you know, journalist. You know, the job is to form opinions and and you know, be part of the conversation. Where with the Indians, you're now representing a a, a billion dollar brand and. Um, you need to make sure you're doing the right thing in all parts of your life, including social media. So, you know, I was, I, I was certainly mindful of that when I would tweet and, um, you know, I had conversations internally about that from time to time early in my career. Later on, I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on it, but you know, when you're a, when, and, you know, when Tom, my role was going on TV and radio and, and speaking, representing the Indians at speaking engagements and, you know, people get to know who you are. So you need to portray that um, on your social media channels. So, you know, that was one thing that, that was tough for me where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty opinionated and whether it's baseball, whether it's politics, whether it's whatever, you need to mind your P's and Q's when you're representing an organization like that. Now I'm able to speak a little bit more freely. And, you know, I, I of course, am a needs fan and watch the games and have my opinions about the team. And um, it's a little easier to sort of participate in the conversation now uh, with fellow Indians fans. So that's kind of what I like about it. Um, you know, being able to, to, to talk more openly about what I feel like is going on with the team and, uh, you know, participate more in the conversation with Indians fans. That's, that's something that, that, that I've enjoyed being able to do now that I've, I've switched roles. Well, we, uh, the good news is we've got some more baseball to talk about here. Division series for the Indians going to be starting on Friday, uh, in Houston playing the Astros, Looking like we're going to see lots of day baseball in this series, uh, which we have not really had a whole lot of in the postseason the last couple of years. But uh, this is kind of what happens when you're not playing the Yankees or the Red Sox in the first <laughs> round. Um, personally, I can't say that I'm going to complain too loudly. I've now got a work from home job. So at a TV in my office, I'll be uh, keeping an eye on things on Friday <laughs> afternoon. But uh, I, I know tell you, Tom, well, from, a, from a staff perspective, you know, when, when those came out, when yeah. those game times came out, um, it's it is you hope for those day games. I know it's it's inconvenient for fans, but you know when you, when you're working those long hours, you know we'd have media at the ballpark every morning uh, at Progressive Field for for postseason games. So it'd be like a three a.m. arrival for me. 
Um, so when you're talking, you know, World Series games or ALs, you know, against the Yankees, you know, those are games that you're at the ballpark at 3 a.m. and you're leaving it at midnight, you know. So um, just from a purely selfish staff standpoint, when those game times came out, you love to see afternoon games, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, we're going to get that uh, game one, uh, two, uh, 2 in the afternoon, I think, on uh, Friday and then 4.30 Saturday. Um, what uh, – just from your perspective, what what storylines have kind of grabbed you, and and what are you interested in the most heading into this series? I uh, the the absolute key is you know I've tweeted about this a few times throughout this season. I I haven't you know this is not breaking news, but I I, I don't think Alan, Andrew Miller is right um, still. So if they don't if they can't trust Andrew Miller and Cody Allen. Um, I think they're in trouble. So I'll be interested to see how Terry uses those guys when he uses them. Do you save Brad Hand for the eighth and ninth, or if there's a big spot in the seventh with um, you know some uh, some big guys up, do you bring Hand in? You know the, the Astros are all they're they're heavily uh, right-handed leaning. So where does Brad Hand fit? You know, in 2016, Andrew Miller was doesn't matter who he was facing he was in there does, does brad hand is he in there for two innings against the right handers too it's you know with cody allen struggling is your right-handed specialist um now gone um so that's the most important thing to me uh you know can you trust your bullpen can you trust those guys that if in the fifth inning Corey kluber gets into trouble can you bring those guys in and, and lean on them for for four innings i don't know tom I, i'm frankly a little frightened about that so um, the best part you can hope for is that their offense uh, sings and and performs well and, and beats up some of these pitchers and gets them leads and and you have some some wiggle room. But uh, it's going to be a tough series, there's no doubt about it. Just the way pitching staffs get handled in the postseason in general fascinates me. And the Indians have, I think, been really creative over the last couple of years, almost out of necessity, really, uh, two years ago with some of the injuries uh, to the starters. And then, uh, you know, last year, uh, it was something that was talked about quite a bit after that series ended, you know, that the Indians started Trevor Bauer in game one and, and Kluber in game two. We only saw Carlos Carrasco once in game three. Whereas this year, you know, you're going to see Corey Kluber in game one, Carrasco game two, Clevenger in game three, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. But um, to maybe kind of address some of those concerns that you've got about the traditional bullpen guys, uh, do you think we're going to see a lot of Trevor Bauer or Shane Bieber coming out of the pen in the first couple games? Yeah, I, I do. I think maybe that's your – your. Um you know, maybe that's your, your safety net. You know, if, if Klubes gets in trouble in game one, is Bauer the first guy out of the pen? That way, if Bauer can come in and, and sort of quiet the noise and, and, and stifle the Astros, maybe then you get two or three more innings until you have to go to those guys. I think it's a great point. And, um, you know, I, I think I had a conversation earlier this week on Twitter about where would you rank the Indians going into the postseason And, um, I, I think they're they're at the bottom of the AL pile before the, the the postseason starts because of those bullpen issues. But if they can get those swing innings from Bauer and Bieber, uh, that'll be huge. And, and you know, Tom, it, I, I was looking some some statistics um, to prepare for this, and um, the Astros, the one advantage the Indians have is 
the Astros um, being a right-handed, heavy-hitting lineup, uh, you know, they st- relatively they struggle against right-handed pitching. I think they were 20th in batting average against right-handed pitching this year in, in the big leagues. Um, so, and, and, you know, as you as we've talked about, and as you know, the Indians are have a ton of right-handed pitching, and if they can keep those guys at bay long enough, then uh, I think they I think they've got a good chance. You know, you, you asked about most important things. So to me, it's bullpen. Um, but maybe before you even get to the bullpen, can the Indians' offense can can Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor avoid what happened last year and and snap out of whatever plagued them the last month of the year? That might be even before you get to the bullpen because if you can't if you can't score, um, your bullpen is not going to matter much. So um, I'm, I'm hoping those guys can snap out of whatever's going on with them. Maybe they just got bored. I mean, Tom, I think we we discussed this maybe even, but if you're at a job. And you do the same thing over and over again. You, you do the same mundane tasks day after day after day. But there's a carrot kind of – there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like you get bored. I'm, I, I'm sure these guys were bored as hell this season, you know. So um, maybe that's it. Maybe that maybe uh, the, the, the stage will be what need what they need to snap out of whatever has been going on. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of the thing. I mean, a, a Major League Baseball season, just by its nature – being 162 games is just a grind, no matter what the standings look like. And for the Indians, I mean, they were in a position where, I mean, let's be honest, barring something catastrophic, they knew they were going to be playing in October uh, when they took the field on opening day. Um, head and shoulders better than the rest of the the Central, and that was how it played out. So, you know, it wasn't like they really had to face any sort of real stakes at all in the past six months, and I kind of wonder if that – contributes to it i mean you know it's you start wearing down after you play 140 150 games and when you're playing all those games and you know you don't really have a whole lot attached to them because you know you're just killing time until the first week of october rolls around it uh that's got to kind of drain you a little bit i would think yeah i think you asked me earlier about you know you missed the 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 job and i mean this year to be honest would have been a slog I, i i can't imagine you know, for the staff, like you play the same bad four teams over and over again. Like you look at the schedule, and you know, I'm coming home from work, and oh, who are the Indians play tonight? Oh God, they play the Royals again. Jeez, oh man, I don't need to. You know, it's it's. I, don't, I can't imagine how the players felt. Like as fans, it was like, God, can we please fast forward to October? So I'm sure that these guys got bored, and you know, I don't think you can take their regular season and say, oh, you know. Um, they're not as good as the other AL teams just because they didn't win as many games. They didn't, you know, they only won as many games as they did because of the schedule. Well, first of all, they, they were bored. I had no doubt that they were sick of seeing the same bad teams over and over again. And um, I think that certainly played a role. So um, I'm hoping that's the case. You know, it's a, just a hypothesis and, um, but I'm hoping that's the case and kind of the stage and the bright lights and, and the adrenaline kind of snap those guys out of whatever it is that they were, they were going through. I'm going to have a confession here. I know it benefited them, but as a fan, I was sick of seeing those same four teams all over again. I I, I like seeing them oh. play good teams, you know, even if the results, you know, it doesn't benefit you in the, in the standings as much. Um, I, I could only watch games against the Royals and, uh, and the, the Tigers and, you know, everybody else in the central so many times. So, Major League Baseball's uh, imbalanced schedule. I, I I don't know. That's probably a conversation for another day. But I mean, it is what it is. It was brutal. Like I mean, like I said, I mean, 
you know, when you, you work, you work for a club, you, you're there all day, you know, you're all there all day, every day, you're away from your family. Um, the payoff is at the end when you win the division. But like for me this year, like if I was still there, it would have been tough for me to like, why am I, you know, this is, this is pointless. I'm sure, like I said, I, I, this is, this had to have crept into the players' minds at some point. Like if I'm a staff member sitting in there at the ballpark from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. every single day this summer, like, the Indians won the division on April 1st. You know, like, this is so pointless. Can I go home? Can I spend time with my family? Can we fast forward to October 1st? Can we just get away from these same bad four teams? And um, I have no doubt that, you know, everyone within the organization had some measure of that reaction and, and, uh, and you know, sort of fatigue this year. All right. So getting back to the uh, the guys on the field here, uh, Terry Francona put out 24 of the 25-man roster for the division series round. Uh, it looks like it's coming down to what Eric Gonzalez versus Rajay Davis for that 25th spot. Um, I thought that was kind of strange to make that public that, you know, you've got 24 spots settled and, and you've got two guys that you're considering. Um, I mean, Hey, it's cool. He's transparent about the whole thing, but that kind of surprised me. Anything roster wise with the way they've got this set up for this round that uh, surprises you at all? Not really. I mean, I wish that uh, Leonis Martin was healthy, uh, so we there wasn't there wouldn't have to be a decision of Eric Gonzalez versus Rajay Davis. You know, I don't think um, either of those players merits a spot on the uh, on the postseason roster, but um, that's that's where they're at. You know, I, I guess a, a, a very minor surprise was um, Josh Tomlin not being on the roster just because of his stature and his reputation and his, his, um, you know, his sort of standing with his, his fellow players, but you know, the, you just couldn't trust him um, in the postseason, And so um, just a little surprise, just based on his, like I said, his reputation, his tenure and that sort of thing, but not from a performance standpoint, not that he deserved a spot. Um, you know, Tyler Olson, Neil Ramirez were the two guys that kind of were on the bubble from a bullpen standpoint, you know, Again, against the Astros, like, do you need four lefties in the pen? Probably not. So, um, you know, Miller, Hand, and um, and Oliver Perez are your lefties. And, you know, does Oliver Perez see much time? Probably, you know, he's going to do faces one batter and, and out. So, you know, we talked about the bullpen earlier. I didn't mention Adam Simber, who had a tough year once the trade was completed, but he'll be huge against the Astros. Like, can he come in and, and get a couple righties in a row out? I don't know. So, um, from a roster construction standpoint, I just wish, um, you know, I know Leon's Martin was had a pretty serious health issue. I'm glad it, it seems like he's doing better and he'll be a key part of the 2019 team. But, you know, his absence certainly was felt um, and will be, I, and I think will be in the postseason. Yeah, that was scary. It was such a, a, a unusual situation, and it just happened. It just felt like it came up so abruptly. I mean, he had barely – been with the club for what about two weeks and and then all of a sudden crazy timing uh, yeah that that came down and um yeah it, it, i'll echo what you said hopefully uh you know he's getting better and, and and things are uh trending in the right direction um several guys uh on this roster tomlin being one of them that you mentioned um you know andrew miller brantley cody allen there, there are several guys on this team who have been here for either all or most of this, this run. And uh, a lot of them 
uh, may or may not be here next year. Um, you know, the Indians with or without them, I think just based on where the rest of the teams in the central are, I think the Indians will probably still be favored to win the division again, but, um, I don't know. It, it kind of, at, at times feels like there maybe is like a, a last hurrah with this group a little bit. Um, is that a real thing within the organization or do you think that's something that gets overblown by, uh, those of us, uh, sitting here at our office podcasting, uh, on a Wednesday night? <laughs> No, I think the players feel that, you know, I, these guys have been around for a long time. And, you know, like you said, there are guys, there are a lot of guys who've been around a long time that probably won't be with the team anymore. So Cody Allen, Michael Brantley, uh, Jason Kipnis could be traded. Should, should be traded. Josh Tomlin. Um, I'm trying to think, I don't have a, the, um, you know, the, the balance sheet in front of me, but I think the players feel that for sure. That might add a little bit more uh, motivation for them to, to perform this year and try to make one last run. But I mean, look, if you, if you need that to motivate you at this time of the year, then you're probably not, you know, right for, for this situation. I mean, there's, there's lots of, um, there's lots of different motivation this time of the year. I mean, heck, I mean, these guys are playing for contracts, right? So Michael Brantley had a pretty darn good year. A big postseason could get him a, a better deal next year. I don't know where that's going to be. I don't know if he gives the Indians, you know, a little bit of a discount because they they stuck with him this year, picked up his option. But, um, you know, let's face it, Cody Allen hasn't had a very good year, so, so he could be pitching for his contract, and he could be pitching for millions of dollars if he proves himself to, to be able to perform in October. Same with Andrew Miller. Like, what 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 can Andrew Miller realistically expect from the market um, after after his season this year and his season last year, really? You know, he's not invincible anymore, so, what, so he's got to, you know, this is about market value. This is about winning World Series, and um, so, and, and Kipnis, who knows where his head's at, but, um, if you need that as motivation this time of the year, I just think your, your head's in the wrong, in the wrong place. I, I think they feel it. And I think there, there's some sentimentality there, but I don't think that's really a driving factor for, for some of those guys that, that we talked about. For those guys that you mentioned there, I'm not even sure it's so much uh, a sense of motivation as it's just an added element of pressure. Um, Josh Donaldson, another one, he hasn't really been here that long and doesn't yeah. necessarily fit into that you know category with the other guys. But, I mean, he's another one. Um, he's going to have a real interesting contract situation this winter. And, I mean, he, he was brought in by the Indians specifically for, you know, this week and, and hopefully a few more here this month. So. Yeah, he's 34 and, and and has missed a bunch of time this year and last year and hasn't been himself for a couple of years. So he's another one that, I mean, yeah, you, you probably don't need too much more motivation than, hey, look, you, you've seen it, Tom. Like, what's the market? What's the current Major League Baseball free agent market value a 34-year-old often injured third baseman at? I mean, probably not a whole lot. Um, the market could value a 34-year-old third baseman who proved himself healthy at the end of the year by hitting five home runs in the postseason leading the Indians to the World Series. Like, that, that's a whole different story. So um, there's lots of motivation for, for all these guys. All right. Looking over in the other dugout, what else do I need to know about the Houston Astros? Oh, oh geez. I, I, I look for weaknesses and I mean, maybe that one that I mentioned is their weakness, you know, batting against right-handed pitching. And luckily the Indians have a lot of good ones, but you know, their bullpen was tops in the league. Their starters were tops in the league They're Let's see their, uh, if I can get, I've got this right in front of me here, but even with that, um, 
you know, even with that uh, average against uh, right-handers, they still were seventh in the league in hitting. Um, you know, they, they can mash and they, they're deep. They're eighth in the league in slugging. So, I mean, they don't have a lot of weaknesses. Um, I think you've got to hope that um, they get cold, kind of like the Indians did at the wrong time last year for, for three straight games. You know, they didn't hit much and uh, maybe didn't pitch as well as they, they could have over the last, last three games. Um, and, and their manager is really good. A.J. Hinch is, um, you know, probably the kind of manager that you want who has exhibited his his ability to, uh, you know, think forward and and be progressive and, and give young guys a shot and, 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 um, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable what, what they've been able to do. And not every team can do this. Think about this Tommy. you know, everybody's trying to duplicate what the Astros and Cubs have done by completely bottoming out. And you see the pain points going through that, you know, the white Sox and the reds. I mean, I had this discussion today with a Cubs fan who, uh, was, was obviously not happy after last night, but like, what do you have to look forward to if you're the, the, the Reds or the White Sox, they're trying to do what the Astros and the Cubs did and, and they're failing at it. You know, I mean, those Cubs and Astros did this on a very truncated timetable and these teams are, are years into it and, and showing no signs of life. So the Astros deserve credit for, for being able to pull it off. And, you know, obviously they're, they're reaping the rewards of it. Um, I just, it, it's hard to find a weakness with, uh, with the Astros, no matter how deep you look. All right, I know they got Verlander. We saw him for years with the Tigers. Uh, give me some other reasons why I should despise the Houston Astros because I don't have a whole lot of disdain built up for them over the years. This isn't a team that we have much much history with here in Cleveland. Uh, I mean, if you're into the whole Trevor Bauer feud, then uh, maybe that's one of them. You know, he, um, you know, well well documented sort of wondered how Garrett Cole got so good when he went to, uh, to Houston from Pittsburgh and um, whether you like Trevor's um, uh, ultimate uh, reason or, or um, theory on why uh, Cole did. I mean, um, that certainly adds some intrigue. I don't think Bauer will be well received in Houston. He didn't pitch in Houston the last time they, or did he, maybe he got ended up getting moved back up and did pitch. I don't think he did though. I think they sort of moved it around. So he didn't pitch in Houston anyway. Um, there's not a whole lot of unlikable parts of the team. You know, if Roberto Zuna very controversially was traded from the Jays to the Astros and, uh, you know, after what appeared to be pretty serious domestic abuse uh, allegations. So maybe that's a reason that uh, uh, you don't like them. They've got a few former Indians. Joe Smith is well-liked. Tony Sipp uh, is their big lefty reliever. Uh, I'm sure you'll see a lot of Tony Sipp versus Michael Brantley, Jason Kipnis, and Yonder Alonso. Um there's not a whole lot to dislike. I mean, like, how could you not like Carlos Correa and, and Jose Altuve? I mean, it's a, it's an organization that the Indians, um, frankly, should want to model themselves after. Uh, and, and, you know, who knows? Maybe the, the Indians probably were the Astros before the Astros from, like, a, you know, organizational uh, structure and, and respect standpoint. The Astros just happened to win a World Series and the Indians haven't. So, um, there's not a whole lot to dislike, but you know, there, you don't need a whole lot um, to do that this time of year because look, you're trying to win. You're trying to win. So um, I love the Astros. If they weren't playing the Indians, I'd probably be cheering for them. I certainly was last year against the against the Dodgers, and they obviously won. Um, there's just not a whole lot to dislike about uh, this team. They're young. They're fun, um, but you got to find something this week. Well, I'm sure one way or another, about a week from now, we're going to be good and sick of them. So uh, yes. we'll enjoy the era of good feelings here in the meantime. 
Um, anything else about this series that uh, that you had loaded up and you wanted to uh, dive into, or uh, have we uh, hit all the bases here? I just I I, I don't like the Corey Kluber um, can't pitch in the postseason. You know, I know he had a tough year last year. Who know? I thought I thought the Indians, frankly, made a mistake last year and in and earlier in spring training about like. Fans, I feel like, deserve to know what was going on with Corey Kluber last year. Like, was he hurt? Um, was he not hurt? Did he just have two bad starts? Which is fine. Like, if that's if that's the case, cool. No problem. That happens. You know, what are you going to do? Um, but I just – I feel bad for Kluber because he had such a dominant 2016 postseason. He carried – he and Andrew Miller basically carried the Indians to um, game seven. And, unfortunately, you know, that obviously caught up with both of those players in that series. But um, – I, I want Kluber to succeed to put that to bed because my memories of Kluber is is the 2016 postseason, not the 2017 postseason. I want him to be able to to point to this year and and sort of reestablish himself as a kind of a clutch performer. And I think he's got the opportunity to do that. I, I hope he does that. Um, and you know, I I just want I want Lindor and Ramirez to sort of get rid of this. Similarly, get rid of that narrative about themselves, like. They cost the Indians the the series last year because they didn't hit. Well, they're really good players, and, and Indians fans should be happy that they have them and not taking them for granted. So I hope that they're able to perform um, in this series and beyond. That way, you know that that sort of narrative goes away about them. You know, when that starts to follow you around, you know, you can talk about Jose's great year and he'll probably be an MVP MVP finalist again. And um, but if he doesn't do it in the postseason, like that starts to follow you around, like this offseason, before I left at least, you know, it was, you talked about Jose as an MVP finalist. You talked about Clues as Cy Young. And a lot of fans didn't want to hear any of that because they didn't perform when it mattered most, which I get. Like, that's cool. I understand. Like, fandom is fandom. And, you know, if you don't win a World Series, then you are a failure. I get that totally. And there were, trust me, the organization feels that way too. Like, and those guys, the players do too. But, you know, when this starts to happen repeatedly, that that starts to follow you around, and I don't want that for any of those players. That's such a brutal uh, do or die situation. I mean, a baseball season plays out over so many games, and then you know the way your year is defined, it's going to come down to a week. I mean, every, everything they've put in for this year, um, you know, if if it goes well, then that just buys you another you know seven to nine days, and you know, hopefully beyond that. But uh, yeah, there's there's. <laughs> No margin for error at this time of the year, I guess. No. All right. Well, uh, there was no margin for error here either, and uh, thankfully you uh, delivered in spades. So, uh, Joel, this is awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. Tom, you got it. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, reminder, everybody, uh, you could subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn, and uh, if you're listening on the podcast app on your iPhone, scroll down the page with our episodes and hit us with that five-star review. You could also stream us on waitingfornextyear.com. Uh, thanks again to Joel Hammond for joining uh, me tonight on uh, on the show here. Uh, Travis should be back next week. I'm sure we're going to have plenty to talk about in this series here. Uh, so uh, this is Tom Valentino, and it's been The Nail in the Coffin, and we'll talk to you soon.
Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast.